to the vault, the vault of worship. I, uh, I don't know about you, but every now and then I have the pleasure of letting my mind run back. And I, I can remember, I can see you standing out there in the pews. It's, I can see glory standing up here. In my sanctified imagination, I can see some hands clapping and some heads thrown back and some eyes closed. And I can see some folk who are probably sitting at their table right now. And you're singing at the top of your voice and you're clapping and you're just saying, I can't stop praising his name. I, I won't stop. Don't stop at your table praising his name. Don't, don't stop in your living room praising his name. Don't stop in your bedroom praising his name. Keep on praising his name. You might not be in this place, but he's in your space right now. Holy Spirit will guide you and oh my Lord. Keep on praising. Praising his name. I, I know. Who knows better than me how hard it is to generate that kind of excitement week after week and Sunday after Sunday and almost a year of doing it this way and yet how much of life would even be as meaningful if it was not for your imagination and your memory. You got to put yourself back in the space so that you understand that true worship is not limited to this sanctuary. True worship is wherever you are. And so, so stop lamenting the fact that you can't step up in 7600 Division Avenue. Turn where you are into your place of worship, your house of worship, wherever you are. And if you've never been to 45, oh, I pray the day comes when all the saints of 45 are constituted here in this place. And Reg and T and D get to queuing up a song like that. 
Oh, you want to be here that day when everybody's in here on the same wavelength talking about can't stop. Praise it, his name. I like it when they break it down into the parts, too. Yeah, I don't know what part I fit into, but I get in all of them. <laughs> I get into all of them. Can't stop. Praising his name. Been a long, long time that I had to preach, and I was out of breath before I started. Oh, but I remember when. Praise the Lord today. Thank you so much for all you do in keeping us encouraged um, in the music ministry. Thank you for your dedication and your ability. Ability makes a difference and to all the saints in the sanctuary. All six of y'all. Thank God for you. We thank God for you. Hey, that's right. They always Johnny and Jane on the spot. Yeah. And my, my excited life partner who just got me on fire this morning. The way she was enjoying the praise and worship service. I was enjoying watching her enjoy. Thank God for her. All she is, all she means in our life. Thank you for your prayers and your words of encouragement this week to my family. As we, uh, as we have to say goodbye to our eldest uncle, maternal uncle, George Jones Jr. We'll funeralize him on Wednesday. Thank you for your prayers. We've been in a sermon series call Renewed. It's been solid. We've been talking about, from the very beginning, we started talking about how we need to renew our spirits in the Lord. Renewed spirit, foundationally, has to start with a, with a relationship with the Lord. If you've never had one with him, then that's where you have to start. But if you had one with him, and for some reason it's not where you like it to be, then renewal is in order, and it's possible. And then in week two, we looked at how once we worked on renewing our spirit, we have to make sure we're working in the right purpose. <clears throat> so I'll ask you, just to reiterate, what is, what is it that you're supposed to be doing for the Lord? Uniquely you not like anyone else. Everybody's in the choir. You might sing on the tenor line with somebody else, but you'll notice different than theirs. That's why we put them all together and they sound the choir. We need your voice there. And I only pull the choir out because it might be a, uh, an usher. <laughs> it might be any other job you do. But whatever you need to do, you need to offer that to the Lord and then let him blend it all in and make it work because he can do it. And this week I want to continue in that, ser that series. There is, in my mind, something that I believe people 
don't put a lot of thought into that I believe can hamper our ability to service our neighbors and show our affection for the Lord. Some of us, if we are honest about it, have forgotten what it feels like to love the Lord. We don't love him like we used to. And then stuff comes into our lives, daily happenings. It seems to put barriers between us. But I wonder if you can let your mind run back to when you first knew him. I wonder if you let your mind roll back to the first, the early, early stages after you found him and invited him into your life. I wonder if you can even remember the thrill you had in knowing that you were a new believer. I wonder if you can remember the excitement you had in discovering all things Christian, all things church. Some of us has been so very long. We dare not let our minds run back that far. I'm not talking about when you were at that revival and your grandma made you get up to go up, join the church. I'm not talking about that time. When you, I'm talking about when you did it yourself. I'm talking about when you discovered him for yourself. You may have already been worshiping active in church prior to that time, but I'm talking about when you first knew him. I don't know where you were in your life or what the circumstances may have been in your life, but there, if you're a believer, there came a time when you first understood that he loved you. And you also understood that you loved him back. Songwriter said, real, real nice, it's so good. Loving somebody with a condition and somebody loves you back. So good. Needing somebody. Somebody needs you back. Where were you when you first understood that not only did you love him, but he loved you? Today I want to talk about first love. First love, my first love. First love. You, you know how it is when you first fall in love. You've never had this experience, God bless you, to walk into it. But most folk who got any days on them, for all the young folk who haven't stepped into it yet, I'm not talking about, and maybe some aspects of what we call puppy love, what we really call puppy love is, is, is an immature love. Because you can be 60 years old and have puppy love. It's when you first come to, oh, you can. Oh, yeah, all those big old eyes, and you see somebody, and just the very sight of them does something to you. There's some energy that goes about you, walks about you, is about you. People say, you look different. You got this glow about you. What's going on with you? And there's some inward activity that puts almost an outward glow on you when you love somebody. 
Some of y'all been together so long, you don't hardly remember those days, but it's true. It's true. And people can tell when you got somebody in your life. You can tell when somebody's fully engaged, too, in a relationship. People who are in love with some not afraid to show they're in love with them. Oh, yeah, they'll go way overboard with you. You know, sports teams, folk who love sports teams, they really, really love it. They can get crazy about it sometimes. I mean, you know, how they dress, how they act. There's a whole lot of folk who, to me, just go way overboard. But you don't have any doubt in your mind that these folk really love those teams. <laughs> they really love those teams. They don't try to hide it. They're so proud of it. They'll put all this stuff on. You know our sports fans will paint themselves and dress certain ways. Come on now, it's not just limited to sports. And if I went around and asked somebody if we had, a, if we had a, uh, the ability to see you where you are and I asked you how many of y'all really love your pets, you go really, really overboard with your pets. Some folk pets live better than some folk. Yeah, they'll spend money on them, and, and, and that's fine. That's fine. How about some folk really love pizza? Really a lot. I mean, they're just kind of connoisseurs of those kinds of foods. Yeah. How about just vacation? How many people love spend all your time? Oh, you want to be on the beach all the time, even though you can't swim. <laughs> you want to lay out there because you look cute in your suit. <laughs> yeah, you just love it. How about people who really love coffee in the morning? Yes. How about that? That's some folk yeah, who really love that. Really love it, yeah. Some people just love laughing, having a good time. And it's, they'll spare no expense to get to that place that they can have a good time. I believe if you've been in the body of Christ long enough, or just for a little while, you'll agree with me that loving and knowing the Lord is something that all of us ought to be eager to show. We shouldn't have any problem showing anybody, telling anybody that we love the, love the Lord, and yet we do. And yet we do. Yet we can become shy. We can become hesitant to show our exuberance when it comes to being in the body of Christ. We get real cool with it. You ever seen them dudes who walking with their girl and they real cool? Real cool. They, they with her, they proud to be with her, but they won't show any outward expressions. They won't hold her hand, I don't want all that. Yeah, but I don't want you holding nobody else's hand either. I mean, they, 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 they want everybody to know she with me. Yeah, they dressed. Some of us just have that about us. We want the Lord to walk with us, but we want to be cool with it. Yeah, it's not just guys either. It's young, it's, it's girls, women have the same issue. Some reason we think that that kind of exuberance and expression is reserved for a certain type, uh, a certain type of religious expression. Can I tell you, I don't care what your denomination is, I don't care what church you go to. I don't care what the practices are in those church. If you love the Lord, you'll shout when he touches you. You'll holler when he helps you. You'll let anybody know that you love the Lord, whether it's in fashion or not. When he touches you the right way, you're going to show it some kind of way unless you're stopping yourself. 
because you're more concerned about what folks say than that relationship. Watch this now. When somebody loves somebody, it's obvious. It's obvious. And it ought to be obvious not just in what we say. I'm, I'm concerned about that, Reggie, because I know sometimes Reggie can get on that keyboard back there and really, really, really get down on it. And he can use this instrument. It'll move folk. Yeah, it'll move people in a way uh, that I've seen little else move people. And yet, while they're moved by that, they still struggle in expressing their relationship with the Lord. They struggle. They'll wear a T-shirt, but they won't say it. Yeah. They'll wear a bracelet that say, what would Jesus do? But they won't say what they would do under the circumstances. Who are you with? We ask that question. That's what the young folks say all the time. The young fraternity brothers jumping around, hollering. They want everybody to know they with the Alpha, the Kappa, the Sigmas, or whatever. But how many folks jump around and say, who are you with? I'm with Jesus. How many of them put the same energy into that relationship? When you love somebody, when you love the Lord, it ought to be obvious. That means your actions and your thoughts are dictated by that relationship. Kyle Edelman, an author, said this in his book, Not a Fan. The name of the book is Not a Fan. He said, we love others best when we love God most. I love this quote because it means that everything in terms of my relationship with other folk stems from my relationship with him. When I've got God properly enthroned and am showing my expressions of love toward him, then I can better express my love toward everybody else because God is in his proper place. The problem is we get that thing upside down and we put folk before God. And so because I love you disproportionately, I can't love God the way I need to because I'm trying to please you. That stops me from pleasing the Lord. That's the struggle we have. God has designed us with an innate spirit that always leans and stretches towards him. And when we get that out of whack, when we allow something to come between us, our world order, our, our, our life order gets out, of, gets out of whack. Too often, we start looking for validation, identification, meaning, and value from things that are not Christ-centered. No, 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 they're world-centered. We start looking for popularity, wealth. We start looking for position. We start looking for recognition, relevance from world systems as opposed to finding that in Christ. And we can get all sorts of confused and upside down. I like the fact that when we get to this place and we start trying to right-size the ship, remember now, this Bible study series is called Renew. Every now and then, the systems get out of whack, and our lives have to be recalibrated. We have to be lined up again. It's okay to get out of whack sometimes. It's okay to get out of proper working order because life does that to you. The question is, can you realign yourself so that things can get better? And I came to tell you, so, so, so I'm so happy to tell you today that absolutely you can realign yourself. And the Bible gives us examples of situations that needed realigning. First, the first part of this message comes from the revelation. 
Yeah, we go all the way to the end of the Bible. We go to the prophetic revelation that God gave to uh, John to let us know what's going to happen at the end. I love that about God. He didn't leave us wondering about what was going to go on. If you don't know already, we win in the end. You ought to celebrate that. It's just getting to the end of the game. It's just getting to the end of the process that you and I have to deal with every day. But we win. We win whether you go from the ground or the cloud. We win. How do I get there and still make sure my witness is intact and my love affair with the Lord is still intact? Well, if you turn to Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, I'll give you some shouting information. Revelation 2 and 4, the Lord gave this to John to write. He said, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Now what would make God inspire John to write those words? Yet, right there, starting out in the beginning of the revelation, God is giving a prophetic message to all the churches. and He's celebrating seven of them, teaching seven of them, commending seven of them for their works, good and bad. And in chapter 2, he starts out by commending and talking to the church at Ephesus. And he writes, he has John write, God has John write these words, until the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things saith he that hideth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Watch this in verse 2. He says, I know your works. I'm looking at you. I see what you're doing. And he said, I know your labor and your patience and how you cannot bear, and how you cannot bear them which are evil and that thou try them when they are apostles. And I know you take care of them. And he says, and, and, and you check those who are apostles and who are not. You're doing the work that I want you to do. You've checked those who are not really in the faith. And he says in verse 2, and you found them to be liars. I see how you validate them. And then verse 3 he says, and how you're born and how you have had patience. And for my name's sake, you've labored and you have not fainted. In other words, God says, I'm paying attention to you. I know what you're doing. I'm happy with what you're doing. And then he turns this corner on verse 4. The King James Version, he said, Nevertheless, even though I'm watching you and I know you're doing a good job and I know you're laboring in my name, nevertheless, I have one thing against you. And he said, and that's because you've left your first love. In other words, you're working, but you're not working like you love me. You're doing it for yourself. You're doing things, but it doesn't seem like you're doing them for my benefit. You're doing them for your own benefit. Some folks started out with the best of intentions, working in the church, and then they got real fond of hearing folk call them leader. They got real folk of real, real fond of hearing people refer to them as chairman. 
They got real fond of hearing folks refer to them as pastor. And they forget, it's not about you, it's about him. And they've forgotten and turned away from their first love. Can I tell you something? When you love somebody, it's obvious. It's not about you now. And he tells us it's okay. In the final book of this, of this writ, this holy writ that we have, it's okay to change and it's okay to call somebody out when you think that they've stepped away from their first love. There's a warning that's given through emphasis that reverberates throughout time down to me and you that it's okay for us to be uncalibrated and to get lined back up again. Chapter 2 tells us that we can straighten things out. So watch this. What do we learn from them? That a love that's neglected is a love that's lost. Oh yeah, when you neglect, when you neglect someone who you love, it's just like throwing their love away. The relationship with us and the Lord is best likened to a marriage. Anybody here that's been married, want to be married, doesn't matter how many times you've been married, just marriage. You know, I tell you, you can put this on a t-shirt, I've been saying it for many, many years, marriage on a good day is hard. It's hard. The best day of your marriage, you still have some challenges. That's the best day. I mean, you can write it down and say, I love this day. <laughs> I love it, and we still argue about something. So just, just being together is difficult. That doesn't mean it's not worth it. Just because something is hard doesn't mean it's not worth it. People get so confused whenever they hit a roadblock, whenever they hit a point of pressure in relationships, they want to throw their hands up and give up. Can I tell you, fight through some of the best things in life come after you've gotten past the point of pressure. And that's how it is. When you neglect someone, when you turn away from a relationship, it's almost like losing it. How, how do I know that? Well, I know it from a few different relationships. But I do know that in a marriage, you have to intentionally do things to keep it going. You can't be 30-some years in a relationship still doing what you were doing in year two. No, no, because there's a natural energy when you first get together. Remember, I started this sermon out asking, do you remember when you first met the Lord? The energy that came when you were excited, okay? When you just knew, I'm, I'm in this relationship. I'm a new Christian, almost like a new penny. You know how shiny a penny is, and that's before it goes in so many pockets and so many cash registers and so many piggy banks. And the world starts wearing on it a little bit and the shine comes off. Guess what? That penny still has its value. It never loses value just because it gets a little tarnished on it, just because it's been in a whole lot of pockets, just because the little boy wants to bury it in the dirt doesn't mean that a penny is not still worth what the penny was worth. It's just been through something. And God has a way of shining up a penny and bringing it back to his luster. And you can do that with your relationships if you want to, if you want to. So, yeah, life has come along. And when we first got married, it was just the two of us. And we worked through the week and we get off uh, every day and be able to come home. And it was just the two of us. And we always said we could make it if we tried, just the two of us. And before long, we couldn't sing that song no more because it was just the three of us. 
Yeah, and just the two of us didn't sound the same when it was three of us. And Lord knows now it's nine of us. And guess what? We still got to try real hard to keep us together. But the same love you had when you first met them is the same love you got to have as you move down the road. And guess what? You got to be creative about making the time. I know I've gotten older. I've gotten slower. I've gotten more responsibility. That doesn't mean that the Lord wants any less love from me. That doesn't mean I have any less obligation to deal with what I committed myself to. Some folk tell me that they don't have to work in the church just because they've gotten older. And I've always thought that was not sounding quite right. Because you still want the Lord to keep his end of the bargain. You still want him to show up and show out in your life. You still want the grace to continue to flow. He's put all these years of wisdom in you, and now you're going to stop sharing it with people simply because you've gotten older? No, 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 no. God has designed the church and these community action organizations to have a place for you to share your wisdom and participate. I'll be honest with you, there are certain aspects of ministry that is designed for young folk to be involved in it. Yeah, but not every bit of it. Not every bit of it. There's a place of teaching. That's the best part of our whole walk and witness. Teaching is the most significant part of being a part. We think it's fellowship. We love the fellowship part. And while that is important, Teaching is the most important part of being in this relationship. And when I get old and I can't be over the youth department anymore because I can't run behind those young folk, I can teach the folk who are over the youth department what they need to do. We can share those stories. I can do the things that I can, but if I neglect that. And so Karen and I, just to go personal, we now have to be intentional. We both have to get up in a normal setting. Every Monday through Friday, we got to get up every day and go to work. We're at work all day, all day, 8 to 5, 6 o'clock every day. We're at work. We have to get to a point, and then we have our other obligations. She's got to be a Mia. I got to be a Padre. I got to be a pastor. I got to do all these things. And when you start putting all that on your plate, not to mention she's got to be a sister. I've got to be a brother. I've got to deal with those relationships too. I've got to be in this group, in that group. She's involved in this activity. And one starts asking the question 30-some years later after we've gotten together, when is that time for us? We used to just come home in the evening and sit and look googly-eyed at each other, happy to come in, the, come in the house and just thrilled at the notion that we were together. That was enough. That, that was enough to keep us buoyant, bouncing. That was enough to keep us happy. And now other things come into play. So we have to be intentional about getting together. And we've had to learn to tell folk, I'll do it for you, but not on Friday. We can get together, but not on Friday. Why not Friday? Because Friday is us time. Leave us alone on Friday. If it's not exceptional, I won't be there. It's got to be something really, really important for me to not deal with our circumstances on Fridays. And so we try. Even still, even in the pandemic, even though we're at the house together every day, we still try to go out and do something special on Friday. Why? Because it's important. 
Are we always successful? No. No, because even on a good day, marriage is hard. Just like in your relationship with the Lord, you're going to have your, I've had some good days. I've had some hills to climb. That's just how it is. I've had some weary days. Oh, and some sleepless nights. But when I look around and I think things over, come on now. Those aren't just for funerals. Those songs aren't just for singing at funerals. Those are everyday life songs. Everyday life songs. A love that is neglected is a love that's lost. I got to prove to the Lord that I'm on his side. I got to show him that I'm for him, that I, I still have not lost my first love. You remember, you remember when you talked to God a lot when you first first met him. You remember how you read the Bible? You get up in the morning or whenever reading the Bible, you set aside that time. It was obvious to anybody, obvious to anybody that, that you, were, you were growing. You were growing. You talked to him a lot then. You even prayed. Not just ask. <laughs> Your prayers were sincere for other folk. You were praying for world peace. You were praying for everybody around the world, all the mission folk, and now we just sometimes pray for our family. Lord, help me today. Help my children. Help. We have just dumbed down our prayer so that it just encompasses our circle. And we act like we don't have time to pray for everybody else in their situations that they're going through. And everybody is still going through something. And people are going through something every day, whether we pray for them or not. Somewhere along the way, our relationship with God became old news and other things became a priority. How do I know that? Because the Bible is full of folk who were close to the Lord and the same thing happened to them. How about Peter? He's the best example. It's the other scripture I want you to look at today. Peter, according to John chapter 21, Jesus made a habit of showing us how we recalibrate relationships. Just like he recalibrated the church and told the church, I like what you're doing, but look, you've stepped away from your first love. He dropped it down and made it personal too. You, you know Peter. Y'all know Peter. Peter, the impetuous one. Peter, the one who was always willing to step up and say something when the other disciples seemed hesitant to do it. Peter, the one who was a fisherman by trade. The one who was in the fishing company, as, as uh, uh, Tony Evans says, he was in the fishing company with the other disciples who were fishermen. Yeah, this same Peter who had to be taught how to fish, not fish, but men, by Jesus Christ. This same Peter who swore allegiance to Jesus Christ, who said that he knew that he was the son of the living God, and Jesus proclaimed to him that uh, that, that heaven, I mean, that you have been told this by the Lord because you couldn't know this from your natural means. I'm paraphrasing because I want you to understand that this Peter is the one who had enough faith to walk on water when he thought he saw Jesus, but not enough faith to stay there when the, when the storms came. This Peter who tried to stop them from taking Jesus on the night that he was to be crucified the next day, when they took him from the garden of Gethsemane, Peter loved Jesus enough to jump in front of him and cut off one of the soldiers' ear. He was impetuous. This Peter, who swore that he would never, ever step away from his love for Jesus Christ. This Peter, who said that he would always be with him. This same Peter was told by Jesus, Peter, you're going to deny me tonight three times. 
the same Peter who swore it would never be that way. See, Jesus knows us. Jesus knows how weak we can be sometimes. That's why it's good to have a Savior who's been touched by our infirmities, who understands that weakness comes not from the heart sometimes, but it's just a byproduct of this flesh we have. He knew Peter enough to know that Peter had more mouth than might sometimes. This same Peter struggled, struggled. In tight spots. He knew that when storms came, Peter took his eyes off the prize, and that's what happened that night. After Jesus had been taken, and they were whipping him down the Via Dolorosa, and people looked at Peter, he probably didn't realize that his eyes were giving him away, that he showed too much concern for a stranger. And so when people confronted him and said, you know this man, he said, no, I don't know this man. Not once, Deacon Hall. He was confronted again, and they said, you know this man. I saw you with this man. And his eyes couldn't change him quick enough, and he had to fuss at the woman and said, I don't know this man. And then a third time, the same Peter who walked on water because he saw Jesus, the same Peter who was by his side for three years, he denied even knowing. You know how hurtful that is under normal circumstances. We've been in this relationship all this time. We go everywhere together. I've been in tight situations with you. I've been in special situations with you. You brought me into the room when you heal, folks. I've shared special conversations with you that even the other disciples did not have. You've taken me to places on high that other people can only imagine being heavenly places. I've seen you transfigured. I've seen so much going on, and yet when the storms of life start blowing over, you say you don't even know me. And just as Peter, this same Peter, denies him a third time, Jesus' prophecy comes true. And a cock crows to remind Peter that this has been foretold. And you can't imagine how crushed Peter is. Peter runs away, dejected, rejected, so embarrassed because he's denied his first love. But watch this. I love this about Jesus. The Bible says that after Jesus had been resurrected on that third day, destiny, that Jesus came with a few missions in mind. First, he met his disciples to calm them. Yeah, he met them in an apartment and let them know, just like I said I was going to, I'm alive. He even gave them bodily proof that he had been crucified and was resurrected. But then the Bible says that the disciples, after Jesus was gone, Richard, had gone back to their former vocation. They didn't keep the church going. The fishermen went back to fishing. Of course, Matthew didn't go back to collecting taxes since he gave almost all his money away. But the disciples went back to fishing. And the Bible says that they were out there fishing. And John writes how they were fishing one morning. And they looked out on the shore after they came in and they saw someone who looked familiar. But it wasn't until he started speaking, Alvin, that they realized that it was Jesus who had come to have breakfast with them that morning. But watch this now. Even though Jesus came, I told you, we put more emphasis on fellowship than on teaching. He came to fellowship with them that morning because that was important. But his main mission was in teaching and reaching. Before he could get to fellowshipping with them, he took Peter, the same Peter, who had denied him three times. 
aside for a personal conference with him. And the Bible said this Jesus took that time to recalibrate Peter's mission. The same Peter who was still down in the mud about having rejected him. The same one who was walking around knowing I messed up my relationship with Jesus because he said I was going to deny him three times. And even though it was never in my heart to do so, I did it. The same one who said I ain't been to church in two or three years and they're going to be looking at me funny. The same one who said I, I got a divorce and the last time I came to church. The folk were used to seeing me and my husband or me and my wife together, and I'm ashamed to come up in there now. The same one who said I was drinking when I was in church before, but after the pandemic hit, things got out of hand, and I really fell down into my alcoholism. And I, I'm, afraid, I'm ashamed to go around people right now because they're going to know that I've been in treatment. The same Jesus will take the time, find you where you are, and put you back in place in the relationship with him. And he came back to Peter, and he said to him, and I love this now. I love this. Because when you love somebody, it's obvious. It's obvious that Jesus loved Peter. How do I know? Because he spent personal time with him. It's obvious that Peter had gone through something that the other disciples had not gone through. And because of that, Jesus needed to massage that relationship just a little bit more. It's obvious that when you neglect the love, when you don't nourish it, when you don't build it, you'll lose that love. But it's also obvious that Jesus offers us a second chance. It's obvious that he offers us a second chance. How do I know? Because the example in Scripture is of him giving Peter a second chance. If you go back to Mark chapter 5 and the other Gospels, you'll see Jesus commissioning the disciples. He commissioned them to go out and do everything he was doing. Peter felt he messed that up when he denied Jesus three times. I messed it up, Lord. I can't go back out and heal and teach and talk about how good you are. Why? Because I publicly denied you three times and Jesus came to him, according to John now. I love it. I love it that this mighty disciple named John, who said he's the beloved disciple, is watching and taking notes on what Jesus is doing with Peter. You need to hear me now. John is the reporter of what's happening with Peter and Jesus. And John said, I saw him walk down the bank. And I saw Jesus hug him. And I saw Peter put his head on his shoulder and cry because he was ashamed of what he had done. This is the same Peter who for the last few days wouldn't hardly come around the disciples. He was so ashamed. He didn't feel like, this is the one who used to be the loudest in the room, who used to be the first one out of the boat, who used to be the one to go out and do whatever Jesus needed. He was walking around with his head bowed low. And Jesus came and lifted up his head came and recommissioned him and how did he recommission him that's what the scripture says Jesus gave him a second chance by simply asking him a few questions he said Peter Peter son of Jonas do you love me my lord what a question when the when the central issue is love we don't have to beat around the bush do we we, we don't have to play games with one another Jesus went straight to the point. He said, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. Then Jesus said to him, according to John 21, 15 through 17, he said, then Peter, feed my sheep. And then Jesus in the same conversation as if somebody had just hit replay. He said to Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? 
And Peter said unto him, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him again, feed my sheep. And then as if Jesus had lost his mind in the resurrection some kind of way and couldn't hear and understand what was going on, he asked him a third time. And I'm sure Peter's eyes bucked a little bit. When he asked him the third time, he said, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? And the Bible says that Peter, you know he's impetuous. You can't just change your nature. Say he was grieved. In other words, he was disturbed. What you doing, Jesus? You keep asking me the same question, but did he? Did he? Did he ask him the same question? See, we have to study to understand exactly what's going on. And if you go back and look at the scripture and you look at the original text in the Greek, the first time that Jesus, the first two times that Jesus Christ asked Peter, do you love me? He uses the word that Jesus loves with, and that's agape love. It's the highest love that any man can ever have. It's the sacrificial kind of love. In other words, Jesus is saying, do you love me like I love you? And Peter says to him, Lord, I love you. But Peter doesn't respond with agape love. No, no. The word that Peter uses in his response is philos. That's a brotherly love. Why? The second time Jesus asked him, do you love me? He uses agape. Do you love me with a sacrificial love? And Peter, being true, being loving, responds, Lord, I, you know I love you. Again, he uses philos. Watch this now. If you don't know that Jesus loves you this much, he asked him again, Peter, do you love me? Jesus uses philos. Not agape. And Peter responds to him, Lord, Lord, using the same word, you know I love you. Using philos. Why, Therese, does Jesus ask him agape two times and philos once? Because Peter knows with his frailty, Lord, I can't love you like you love me. I can't get to that place. I've already shown that I can't get to that place. I'm not going to stand in your face and love you, say I love you at that level because I've already failed at that sacrificial love. And so Jesus recommissioning Peter. Can I paraphrase it? He said to him, Peter, can you love me the best way you can? And Peter said, Lord, I love you the best way I can. And I can love you with all my heart, even if that doesn't show sacrificially. And Jesus told him, well, feed my sheep then. Jesus loved Peter enough, and he loves you enough to meet you where you are. And validate the fact that he loves you. And he wants you to still serve him. And Peter passes the test just like you can too. He's not asking you to be perfect. He just wants you to be perfectly you. And that's enough for him. And Peter, can I tell you something? If you keep on loving him the best you can, 
you keep on doing everything you can to love him, that love will grow. I hope somebody understands that the same Peter who stood there on the banks of the river apologizing and hugging Jesus after his resurrection. This same Peter got a fire in him on the banks of the river and he left Jesus' person and he went and he preached and the church started formally on this side and guess what happened? The Bible says that 3,000 souls were added because people could see the sincerity in Peter's heart and Peter went on to heal and to heal and to help and to teach and the Bible says that when Peter died, he couldn't stop praising his name. He just couldn't stop praising his name. The Bible said that Peter was killed on a cross. And he said, I love him with all my heart, but I won't even die in the same position that he died in. And so he begged them to hang him upside down on the cross because he wasn't even worthy to die in the same way. And the entire time that he was being crucified, he preached. You couldn't shut him up. The cross couldn't stop him from preaching. Why? Because he had been renewed in his relationship with the Lord. Our love can still work, even if it's not perfect love. Even if it doesn't fit in the normal profile, he still will take what we have to offer. My question to you today as I go to my seat is do you love it and does it show? It hadn't been perfect, but can you do better? If you love him, feed his sheep. If you love him, feed his sheep. Doesn't have to be perfect, but it has to be perfectly you. And so my question to those of you who are already in the body of Christ, what's the next level for you? Can you kick it up a notch? Can you spice up your relationship with the Lord? He's waiting on you. He still loves you the same way. The question is, do you love him? If you've never met him before, if you don't know him as your savior, if you don't know him as the one who lived and died for you, then today is the day for you to meet him. What's it going to be, church? Don't make any New Year's resolutions. Make today's resolution. Not just for 2021. No, but for the rest of your life. Create some special time to spend with him. Renew your love in him. And I assure you, you'll take it to a whole different level. He's waiting. Are you willing?